Welcome to Grace Marietta, where we believe our mission is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. If this is your first time joining us, we want to say welcome, and we're so glad that you're listening to this podcast of our weekend services. If you're local to the Atlanta area, we want to invite you to come join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. During this COVID season, our service times differ just a little bit, where our 9 a.m. service is in our sanctuary, socially distanced and mass required, and our 10.30 service is outdoors, where masks aren't required and still distanced. Whether you're listening by yourself, with family or friends, we hope that this message encourages you and allows you to see the kingdom dream that God has placed in your life. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Ben. How's everybody doing this morning? Nice to be with you. Yes, we're here. Hey, I, I decided I was preaching this message to myself if, uh, if it was just me, so I'm good with the gathering. And uh, if you turn to 1 Kings 19, that's where we're going to be. Um, if you have a Bible, and we'll have some slides too. But I, uh, I really love this passage, and uh, when Ben asked me about it, and I knew about the series that you guys were doing, I got excited about this because, and I listened to a couple of messages from the last couple of weeks, but um, just how we're talking so much about power right now, and we're in the midst of this, you know, power transition, and so I know that the series has been about how does the, the world work in power versus how the kingdom power works. And this is probably one of my favorite passages because I feel like I learned so much about this <clears throat> through just walking with God. Um, but I love how you guys have been talking about Elijah as just an everyday person. So you guys looked at all these different kings and how they kind of did policy and how they ruled, but now we're just looking at an everyday person who did some pretty extraordinary things. So that's what's like interesting about it. James even talks about Elijah, like, he's just a person just like us, but he prayed it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. <laughs> so that seems pretty, pretty extraordinary, um, but we're told over and over, like, this is a person just like us, inviting us, basically saying we can, we can have this kind of a life too, if we want it, and I think that's um, where it really comes down to, like, do we want this kind of life? Do we want the kingdom life? Do we want to live in the power of the kingdom? Because it is available for us. It's really a question of who wants it, who, who desires it. Uh, I want to start off with this question because you see this phrase, the word of the Lord, all in Elijah's life. And you guys have already looked at it, but the word of the Lord's coming to him. The word of the Lord's saying to do this or say this. And so this is a big part of his life, the word of the Lord. And I want to start with this question. Um, could Elijah hear this word of the Lord because he was a prophet, or was he called a prophet because he learned to hear the word of the Lord? And just think about that for a minute. Because I know, I mean, I grew up in church and stuff like that, and, and I just, I feel like we look at so many people in the Bible and go, okay, they can do that because they're special. And so that makes sense. You know, LeBron James can play basketball because He's just born to play basketball. You know, I'll never be like that. And the reality is you, you, you will never be like LeBron James. He will always be better than you in basketball. Um, but in the spiritual life, we distance ourselves from people and say, I could never do that 
They're anointed to do that. I think Elijah was called a prophet. He grew into this because he wanted to hear um, the words from God. The same thing is true about Samuel. Why is Samuel a prophet? Because he's the only one going, speak, Lord, <laughs> your servant's listening. It says the word of the Lord was rare in those times. I think he's one of the only people going, I want to hear it. <laughs> I want to know you. And not just asking that once, but learning how to ask that every day. What would that be like? God, what's your word for today? What's your word for me? So I, I, would, I would, you know, kind of argue that this is, this is what made Elijah who he was, that he was hungry for this. But this passage does teach us, and I'll just, I'll just read the whole passage and we'll just pull some things out of it. It does teach us, I think, how to hear the word of the Lord for ourselves, how to be a person who walks in that constant communication with God. And then it leads us to something really interesting, which we'll get to at the end. What does what hearing the word of the Lord lead us to? I would argue there's something it always leads us to, and I'm excited to unpack that. So 1 Kings 19, it says, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he killed all the prophets with the sword, which is chapter 18. These, these prophets of Baal had been dealt with. And so Jezebel sends this messenger to Elijah and, say, and says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. So she basically threatens his life, and Elijah is afraid, and he runs away. And I just want to ask you this question, because we can judge people so harshly when we read their stories in the Bible, but like, have you ever legitimately been in fear uh, for your life? Anybody, anybody ever been like, I thought, okay, I'd love to hear your story after this. I was thinking about, I was like, I have, I've had dreams where I'm like, I'm going to die, you know, but then I've woken up and been like, okay, it was a dream. But to really be in fear for your life, you know, what would you do? How would you respond to that? Because um, we can say, oh, this is so dumb. Why are you afraid, Elijah? He, he was dealing with some, um, some trauma, some fear that maybe he had never dealt with. So what does he do? He runs away. And um, he, he comes to this place. It says he goes in verse four, a day's journey into the wilderness. So he goes in the wilderness. He's kind of depressed. He's kind of confused. He's lost. He comes to this broom bush and he sits under it. And this is his prayer. <laughs> the guy who's just prayed and seen it not rain for three years. Like, okay, I'm pretty good at praying. Stuff happens when I pray. Here's his prayer. <laughs> Um, he came under the bush and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He, he's so afraid. He's so depressed. He's so confused and lost that he just goes, God, I, just take my life. Just, I've had enough. I literally, I don't have the strength to go on another day. You know, are we connected with him in this place? He's desperate. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. He doesn't even have the strength to get up. He just has the strength to eat a little bit and go back to sleep. And, and, and just think about this. I mean, he's been on this journey. If you were here the last two weeks, you know, he, he, he's in this drought. He's living by this brook and ravens are bringing him food. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's barely staying alive for years and he lives with this widow 
and he's just desperate. I mean, they're barely seeing the provision of God. He sees a few cool things happen, but it's like a three-year period of just kind of waiting and surviving. Then he has this huge mountaintop moment, and he's just exhausted. He is just physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. And you know what? I think it's okay to be in this place, um, because what we see God doing here on this journey is to start leading him on a journey of rest and renewal. And sometimes we're depressed, we're confused. I mean, this might be the experience of all of us in 2020 that we're all just like under a broom brush, like, God, I'm doing virtual learning, you know, just take my life. (laughs) This is it. I can't do anymore. That's our situation. Um, And I think it's okay. God's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you rest and I'm going to renew you. And so that's what begins to happen here. He just gives him basic sustenance. Maybe, maybe you're in this place and you just need to let yourself rest. Let yourself um, be, be nourished back to health. I don't know how many of us practice a Sabbath, um, just a day of rest. I was talking to a friend this week about it um, who's not even a believer, and I was like, man, tell me about your rhythms. And we were talking about it. And um, I just told him, I said, you know, something I learned, you know, in the Bible it talks about a day a week. And I was like, you don't feel, I, my experience hasn't been like, I feel so rested on the day. Um, when you first start practicing Sabbath, you even just like crash. You don't feel good. Uh, your body's so used to going and going and going that you don't even know, your body's not even in tune enough to be able to stop. And he was like, yeah, I took a day off this week. I never do it. And I felt sick all day. And he was like having this revelation, like maybe this is, a big deal. And then I was telling him about, yeah, he talked about even the land needed rest. Like, let the land lie fallow is this phrase I love in the Old Testament, where for the land to produce a harvest and to be fruitful, it had to lay and rest. And so we talked through that, and I wonder what that looks like for you. I think in this time, more than any time, we need that day. Just to know it's coming, just to know whatever day it is, you know, Friday afternoon till Saturday afternoon, whatever you're weekly rhythm is just to know it's coming. You're going to have a good meal. You're going to spend time with family. You're going to turn your phone off or turn your computer off and just be. Just be a human. Just be with people. Be with God. Just knowing that mental space is coming gives me strength and, and hope and be like, okay, I can finish this week because <laughs> there's, a, there's a time of rest coming. You know, this is one of the Ten Commandments. God says it's so important to take time and rest. It's so holy. It's a part of the kingdom that I'm going to build it into the top 10. (laughs) It's a big deal. So I think it's okay if you feel spiritually depressed, lost, confused. I don't know which way to go. I haven't heard from the word of the Lord. I feel like I've been in a desert, dry, droughty place. You might just need some physical rest. You might just need to crash for a little bit eat some food, drink some water, and just let yourself come back. I think God is is in that, and he wants that. So again, we we see that here with Elijah's journey. So he goes on this journey. So his second time, he got up, verse 8, it says, he got up and ate and drank, and he was strengthened by that food, and he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And so you see all these 40s in the Bible. It's a time of testing, and it's a time of preparation for something new. So there's a time of rest and renewal for something new to happen 
in Elijah's life. He goes to the mountain of God. I was reading this, I was like, what's the mountain of God? It's Mount Sinai. It's the same place that Moses went for 40 days and 40 nights and had this unbelievable encounter with God that songs and poems are still written out of what he experienced in that place. And so he goes, he's led to this place. And then in that place, in that place, who knows how long it took? It might have taken the full 40 days for him to hear anything. But in that place, then it says, the word of the Lord came to him. And here's how the word of the Lord comes to him. I love how unexpected God is. The word of the Lord comes to him in the form of a question. God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Which is a funny question because I feel like God asks like the most basic questions, but you're like, I know the answer isn't what is the most basic. Because if I was Elijah, I'd be going, I don't know. What am I doing here, God? You've led me here. Angels gave me food. You've taken me to this place. Why don't you tell me what I'm doing here? But God doesn't let us off the hook. He wants to know what's going on inside of us. What's motivating us? What's happening in our heart? He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. This is what he thinks. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me, too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He doesn't answer his question. He doesn't say anything about his, his little perspective. He just goes, okay, <laughs> go out here. Something's about to happen. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. There's different translations of this, um, but this NIV says there, there came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So he knows, okay, God's in this moment. He goes, he leans in to listen. He leans in to, to hear the whisper love that that's one of the values here. And here's what God said to him. I love it. The voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Ask him the same question. So Elijah gives the same response. I've been, he's like, maybe God didn't hear me the first time. I've been very zealous, he says it louder, for the Lord God Almighty. Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, and, and I'll go into that in a minute. He, he gives him kind of some next steps. He never answers his question, though, uh, and he never really responds to it. He just shows him what's next. But the first, I want to stop here for a minute because this is a really profound moment. Um, have you experienced God the way Elijah is right here in this moment as, an, as a still and as an unhurried presence? Have you experienced God as a still and unhurried presence? I think some of us have experienced God kind of on that mountaintop moment, in the fire, in the wind, in the earthquake. 
And, and there's times in the scripture where God is coming to us in those ways. Um, I, I remember times experiencing God so deeply and like electricity, just me and all my friends are coming to faith and I'm seeing God do stuff in my life and it's like I can't even sleep at night, I'm so excited. So there's that kind of energy. This is a different energy. This is this calm, stillness, being present in the moment, kind of losing track of time, just being there in the silence, listening to the voice of God. I did some um, digging on this passage years ago because I really wanted it to be the gentle whisper, but some different translations are different here. So I was like, oh man, I really hope it's a gentle whisper. Like, we need a passage like this in the Bible. I've heard this still small voice. I hope this is what it's saying. And I found some really interesting stuff just on the Hebrew word. So the first, there's three Hebrew words used here for gentle whisper or still small voice might be what your translation says. The first is the Hebrew word that means sound or voice. Sound or voice. And then the first adjective used to describe the sound or voice denotes quietness, stillness, or even silence. So some translations say Elijah heard the sound of sheer silence, which is just kind of awesome. If you've ever just been in the silence, and after you get up past your freak out stage, you kind of enter into it. The silence can be loud. The silence can be like a thunder inside you. And so the first adjective there is stillness or silence, quietness. The second modifier in the Hebrew is something that has been made fine or thin. Something that's been made fine or thin. The implication is that the voice sound through which God speaks is barely audible in stark contrast to the phenomena which precede the voice. Have we come in contact with this God's all-powerful and he's mighty and he's, he can do everything, but then he chooses to manifest himself in this thin quietness, this fine, barely audible voice. And I don't know about you, but my natural disposition is extroverted. It's, I want to talk. I don't want to listen. And so this is really hard for me to like get to this place, to hear God in this way. But I think something happens in our life when we get quiet and we get still. I mean, who can't stay still if their life depended on it? Okay, so you guys are pretty, I don't know, introverted. I can't do it. I mean, this has been so hard uh, to learn this way. But I think so much happens in the silence and the stillness that God's like, there's certain things you're not going to understand about yourself, about me, about the world, about how my kingdom operates and like hiddenness and secrecy and quietness, and smallness if you don't get in contact with this part of my nature and my character. It's like there's part of God and part of his kingdom that we can't understand unless we're still and we're silent and we're quiet. I remember um, first learning about this because I had read through the Bible and I didn't see this. But one of the first guys who discipled me, he said, sometimes I go camping alone. 
I thought that was the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, some people think, I mean, who just hates camping? I mean, who's just like, camping is for like the old days. We have houses now. <laughs> uh, but he was like, I, I used to go, I go camping. I was like, why would you do that? He's like, because I want to I wanna hear from God. I was like, okay, that's, I had, I had no grid for this. I was like, what are you talking about? So he'd go and get in some solitude and get in some silence. And, um, and I remember just thinking, like, I couldn't do I, I got to be around people. And, and what if he doesn't say anything? What if, I just, I'd never had any experiences of quietness and solitude. Um, and then fast forward a few years later, um, I, I was invited and God kind of called me into this pastor and training program um, from this guy who had been part of the Jesus movement and he started this church up in Oregon, and small town in Oregon, and just all these hippies that were living in like tree forts and stuff, started coming to faith. So he's, he's, he's the, the Jesus movement, you know, all these hippie kind of drug surfer people are coming to faith. God's doing this move. And then some people start going off and starting these churches. So he starts this church. He leads some hippies to faith. And when he was going to go back, his name is John Corson. When he was going to baptize them, they all showed up at this river naked. <laughs> he's like all right, this is how God's doing it here. He didn't want to, like, create something to stand in the way. So he just he baptized them as they were, as their mother brought them into this world. <laughs> and uh, so he, he had this idea to do this pastor training school down in the, the desert of Baja, California, in, um, in, in Mexico. So we went there. It was a three-month thing. No phone, no internet. We slept in these huts. There were about 20 um, physically or mentally handicapped uh, Mexican kids there. So it was like an orphanage meets Bible college meets monastery. And we had this schedule where we just, you know, spent time in the Word, had worship, had our meals. Every day was kind of the same rhythm, and there was a lot of time for silence and solitude. And I remember um, just being invited into this, this spiritual discipline in that environment. Um, so I'm in college, but again, no phone, no internet, like there's no distraction. So you go through the like pain of it for the first few days, um, but then you settle into it. And it was in that place that God just grew me so much. Um, I mean, I, I, it's one of the seasons in my life that I feel like I was closer to God than ever before. And so it just developed, this is not my nature, this is not something that I would um, naturally like desire to do. <laughs> But it worked in these places of like, wow, we can really hear from God every day. Um, we're always asking God to be present in, in us and in our space. And I think God's like asking us, like, who wants to be present to me? I, I'm here, and I have a word to speak every day. It's not, I don't, who has the presence problem? I don't think God has the presence problem. I think we have the presence problem. So, so really what it comes down to, if you go to the next slide, is just becoming still, becoming quiet, um, getting in a place of, of silence and maybe even solitude so that we can actually hear the things that God is already speaking. And I really believe this. I think God's speaking to all of us all the time. I think people aren't even believers. God's talking to them. He was talking to me. He was sending people in my life. He was giving me dreams. He was giving me these hints. He was just waiting for me to wake up to it. And so we get to be the people who are always hearing from God. We get to be the agents that are waking other people up to his voice. 
And maybe you don't have to use the language of hear the whisper, but like, I mean, you can say it in all kinds of ways. What, what's happened in your life? What do you, if God's real, what do you think he wants you to know? If there was a God in the universe, like, what do you think he might be saying to you? These questions um, starting to get to the essence of, of, of who we are and what we're here to do. Like, I can't live without the whisper now. Like, I got to have it. I'm ruined for it. I didn't, this isn't my natural way. I didn't learn it on my own. But now that I have it, it's like, I, got, I, I have to have it. I know when I'm grounded in his whisper and when I'm just acting in my own flesh and in my own passions and my own thoughts. If I get alone with God, what happens, and this is, will kind of lead us to the next thing, he, uh, he reframes for us what's actually going on in life. Why is the silence and, and hearing the whisper so important? Because I'm just like Elijah. I get alone with God, and he goes, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Matt? Oh, God, I, you know, everyone, I, I'm zealous for you. I'm living for you. No one else is doing anything. Everyone else is lazy. Everyone else is X, Y, Z. I'm the only one, God, and I can just change out the situations. I'm the only one at Grace that's doing this. I'm the only one in our family that cares about anybody else in our family. I'm the only one in our neighborhood who does, I mean, it's like we, I just have a list of all the ways I'm justifying myself and how things that are going on wrong in my life are other people's fault. And God just invites us into this place of reframing that. I think that's what he's doing here for Elijah. Hearing the whisper often looks like God asking us questions to reframe our thinking. I love it. He, he never really answers, he never really gives a response to him. But I think Elijah gets the point, like, I think I'm wrong in thinking that I'm the only one. And we do get a hint of that a little bit later. But, but we have to first, I mean, again, for me, why is silence and solitude and, and hearing the whisper important? I need to get into a place and God wants to know, like, what do you think? What's going on in your heart? What do you actually believe? That's like confession where we say, this is what I actually believe. So I, I love Elijah. He's saying what he thinks is true. He's saying, this is what I think. So here, here's the challenge I'd give to us. Um, and if you go to the next slide, I just have even a definition of reframing. It's to see something in a different way or to adopt a new viewpoint or perspective on what seems so clear to us before. I would challenge you, if you feel frustrated, if you feel anxious, if you feel angry, whatever you feel with what's going on in the world, the political climate, the COVID climate, I don't think we can really start to hear the whisper until we at least get alone and say, God, here's really what I think. Here's what's going on inside of me. When I've got all these emotions stirring in me, that's when I want to journal or write, you know, however you do it, write in your journal or in your prayer time saying, God, this is, this is what I think about it. That's confession. Here's what I think. And then God can start to reframe our thinking, change the way we're viewing it. Is this the only thing that's true? Is this the only way to view it? I mean, I can just tell you guys, um, we're not going to grow spiritually. We're not going to become the mature kind of people that we want to be unless we say, God, here's what I really think. Tell me how you think about it. How do you view this? What is your perspective here? I think that we got to be praying about this because I think God's doing a work in our world right now. Why, why is it so important? Who's in charge? Who are you really trusting? That might be a question God asks. Oh, Lord, we want healing in our country. We want racial healing. We want reconciliation. Okay, 
God's gonna start to ask you questions about what do you think about it? What's your part to play in this? I mean, I, to, one of the ways that God has broken my heart most deeply is how I haven't understood my place and my privilege in society um, until just a few years ago, waking up to what does it look like to work for a just and equitable society? We can talk about healing all day long, but are we willing to get in the trenches and do the work and be uncomfortable to learn things and reframe our thinking in ways that, that we're thinking wrongly? Well, this is the problem. If they would just do that, you know, that's how I go into prayer. God, if they would just do that, then this relational issue would be solved, this country issue would be solved, and I never emerge from that place of prayer going, if they would just do that, I always emerge from that place going, here's the ways God's called me to change and grow and to be broken and to work and to live like Christ. So to go on and finish this passage, because we do get a hint here of how God reframes Elijah's state. In verse 15, it says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Heziel king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. So he says, go and anoint these two kings. He says, there's going to be new leadership that's going to happen. That's part of the new work. Then anoint Elisha, son of Saphet, from Abel Meholah, which this is huge. He's going to succeed you as prophet. So Elijah goes into the desert going, I'm discouraged I'm confused, I'm lost, I'm depressed, just take my life. And then God says, I'm not gonna take your life, I'm actually gonna raise up someone who's gonna carry on the work beyond you. Like, this is such a huge moment. Elijah's going, I'm the only one left. And God's going, no, there's a lot of people that are left and they're about to step into some big leadership and I'm gonna use you to pass on the baton. The last thing he says is, in verse 18, he says, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So God never really fully responds to Elijah's, what are you doing here, response. But he, go ahead, he goes ahead and makes sure he knows, hey, you're not the only one. There's actually 7,000 other people who've been faithful to me. So Elijah, let's get the focus off of yourself and let me show you how there's still really good work to do. You're a part of what's happening. You're not the only one. There's a lot of other people out there. It's not all about you. You're tired. Eat some angel cakes and, and water. <laughs> Spend some time with me in the cave. Elijah, you're not the only one. Tell me how you feel. Get it all out. And then let me start to show you the bigger picture of my kingdom. And then I think he goes, leaves this place in, in a place of refreshment and joy. He goes and he does all these things. He hears from God again, and he moves into this new ministry. And so this is what's really important. If you go to the next slide, um, this will kind of lead us into the last, the last part here. Hearing the whisper always leads us to some action. I think some people and some traditions are afraid of, like, contemplation or solitude. Like, no, and if we're just sitting around listening to God, we won't do the things that God's telling us to do. Guys, we can't do the things God's telling us to do without sitting in the silence, in the solitude, and hearing the whisper. I don't know what to do if I'm not in that place. Jesus said, I hear what my Father is saying, and that's what I say. I see what my Father's doing, and that's what I do. You see this practice of, of solitude, silence, Jesus going to these lonely places all the time, and they never lead him to just sitting around more. They always lead him into some powerful 
action. You know, the power of Jesus' public ministry was actually found in his private time with the Father. Every time you see him drawing away, drawing away in a time of prayer, he comes back with this revelation. In Luke, there's this beautiful passage, Luke 5. It says that he went to these lonely places after like a busy time of ministry to pray. And it says, when he left that place, the power for healing was present. So there's a direct connection to being in that place, hearing the whisper, and having the power to minister as God's calling you uniquely to minister. I know for me, if I start my day in that silence, I feel confident. I feel like I'm in the flow with God throughout the day. Just even 10 minutes of going, God, fill me up this morning. What do you want me to know today? What do you want to reframe in my thinking before I go and interact with all these people? I want to be with people in a powerful way. I want to be with people in a way they feel your spirit moving in our interactions. Just start in the morning going, God, I I want to hear that whisper so I can move in that way. This is what Jesus did. Before he picked the disciples, he spent the whole night in prayer on a mountain, it says. He's going, God, who is it? I don't know. Who is it? You know, if you have an issue at work or issue in your family, which we're always dealing with that, how often do we pray about it? Just say, God, give me some perspective here. Is there something I'm not seeing? Is there a person you want me to talk to about this? Where's the guidance here? Before Jesus goes to the cross, what does he do? He goes to a lonely place and prays. God, this is hard. What do you want me to know? In that place before he goes to the cross, he hears the whisper. He hears from God and he goes, okay, not my will. Your will be done. This is a pattern in the life of Jesus. It can be a pattern in our life too. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of his best sermon, kind of the message where he lays out the kingdom. He says, you've heard it. You've heard what I just said, but hearing it isn't enough. You have to go do it, and that's where the power is. So hearing the whisper always leads to action. You've heard my words, but the one who does them, that's the one who's going to see the fruit and the substance of the kingdom. So what, what happens to Elijah as he hears the whisper He hears people's names. Go anoint this person. Go pray over that person. He hears Elisha. Go find this guy and pass on everything I've given you. Pass it on to him. Give it away. Invest in him. Who are the people that we're going to pass on our legacy and our inheritance and all the things God's given us? Who are those people? New projects, new assignments, these things. Who to partner with in ministry? New ideas of things to do. These all come out of this silent place, the solitude place. I love the ideas that I get in silence where I'm going, I couldn't have made that up. I couldn't have thought that up. I think this is a God thing. And then you're terrified. You're like, what if it doesn't work? What if people think it's weird? What if it flops? What if it fails? Okay, it might, but you'll never know unless you pursue it. This is what's fun. This is why it's an adventure. You hear the whisper and God drops stuff into your mind that you're like, okay, this is a different idea. (laughs) This is a God idea. Let's go see what can come of it. A few thoughts on, um, on, on service, because here's the thing. If you go to the next slide, another way to say this is that silence leads to service. If we're really hearing from God and we're really in that place of silence and hearing the whisper, it leads to service. It always leads to service. The fruit of silence and solitude carries an outward focus. I don't know how it happens. It just opens up space in our life where we're going, I have more empathy and compassion for people than I did before. I came in here 
as like an unregenerated, angry, bad version of myself, and I'm leaving fresh. I'm leaving like the spirits just wash me again. And yet you want to go love people. You think about ways that you treated people or things that you said, and you're like, I can do better. I can be a better husband. I can be a better father than that. I can be a better friend. Maybe you need to go repent. Maybe you need to go say you're sorry. All these things happen as, as we hear from him, but there's this outward focus. And, um, you know, one of the guys that I love that I've been, list, that I've been reading, this is a little tiny little book um, called Letters by Modern Day Mystic, and it's this guy who was a missionary, and he, he went to the Philippines. He was, he was away from his family. He was, it's the loneliest year he said he ever had. He's so lonely. He just lived on this little hill called Signal Hill in the Philippines. He didn't know the language. He didn't know anybody. And he was so lonely that he, all the, the only person he could talk to for a while was God. So he just cries out to God. And he's like, God, I just need friendship. I just need someone to talk to. And he develops this deeper relationship. He's like, I've always had a relationship with God, but it's never been like this. He's hearing the whisper. and He's learning how to walk with God. But what it leads him to do is have this amazing love for the people that, he was ministering to. It was this Muslim community, and he just grows to love them, and he's serving them, and they're serving him, and it's just this beautiful thing. Um, out of that place of solitude in ministry, he creates this program about how to teach people to read, and, um, and it turns into the Each One Teach One movement. Millions of people around the world have learned to read, and it came out of this guy's loneliness and, and solitude with God that birthed that. And so here, here's what he says, and I really, I think this is important for, um, if, you, if you don't feel like you're finding God right now, what's a way to find him? What's a way to hear the whisper? And I think these are interchangeable. So if you throw up this second quote, he says, if anyone were to ask me how to find God, I should say at once, hunt out the deepest need you can find and forget all about your own comfort while you try to meet that need. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. He will be there. You will know it. So this is what he learned. He was so lonely, just like Elijah, that he just, he had no one else to talk to. <laughs> he starts talking to God. He develops this deep relationship with God. And then God leads him. That silence leads him to serve people in a way that he never knew was possible. He's overflowing the love of Christ. And then he learns this lesson. This is years later. He's talking about his experience. He's saying, if you want to know how to find God, go find the deepest need you can find. Forget about your own comfort and just meet that need. You'll find God there. And so this passage and what I'm learning from him, if you go to the next slide, is just, I think these are interchangeable. Go to the next one. If you find God, then you'll find the need. Because silence is going to lead you to serving. But if you can't feel like you, you can find God, then find the need and you'll find God. And, and, and for me, this is so simple. We just make it so complicated. But like, guys, there's so many needs that come across our doorstep every day. And I just ignore them. I'm too busy. I can't help that person. And what I've been trying to do is if, if there's a need, someone texts you that someone died in their family or they're sick or they need something or they're, they're just looking for a call or a friend, I try to just immediately just, just meet the need in the moment. Just run towards it. Because my tendency, if I'm honest, is, oh, there's a need. I don't know if I have the bandwidth for that. 
Oh, there's an email with, a, with some, some pain and some longing. Oh, I don't know if I want to jump into that right now. Oh, there's something clearly going on with my kid or my spouse or my friend. I want to keep some, that's going to require too much energy for me. And I think we distance ourselves from all the places that, that God can overflow. Because here's what I find. I run towards a need. I might not feel like I have the resources to meet that need, emotionally, physically, financially, but you run towards that need, and God does something in that moment. And there's more than enough, because you move towards the need. I, I think some of us, maybe you're afraid of, of, well, I don't know how to have the racial conversation. I don't know how to talk about my whiteness or what it looks like for us to be a, an integrated community. Okay, what does it look like to just move towards that uncomfortability and that need and go, okay, God, just teach me in the moment. Teach me to have conversations that I don't know how to have. Teach me, if I, if I see someone lonely, if I see someone off on their own, if I see someone that might be hurting, what would it look like just to move towards that, even if it's uncomfortable, and just go, hey, you don't seem like you're doing well. You wanna talk about it. Like, what would it look like just to run towards these needs and to see how God shows up in that place. If silence, if hearing the whisper doesn't lead us to service, we're not there yet. And if we feel like we can't hear from God, I would say we do it loud back says, run towards the need and see how God's gonna meet us in that place. That's where he is. That's where the kingdom is. It's always there. So the last thing I wanna do is um, just, let's just take a quick moment here just to practice this. We can talk about this all day but it really comes down to practicing it before you go to sleep at night, intentionally saying on your, on your bed, God, I want to hear the whisper. It looks like setting your alarm early and waking up and going, I just want to go out and listen to the birds, read my Bible, and, and say, God, I'm here for the whisper. Um, in church, I think a lot of times we hear messages or we get stirred up by the worship, but we never take the time to say, hey, here's what God's speaking in my heart. So what I'd love to do right now is just let's take a moment. Tyrell will just kind of play something. Let's just practice for a couple minutes just hearing the whisper for ourselves. Maybe you want to write it down. Maybe you want to make a note on your phone. We just want to open up and say, God, we're here. We're at the edge of that cave. We're leaning in. We want to hear what you have to speak to us. So we'll just take a couple minutes, and then I'd love for us, you know, carefully and socially distant to just even give a minute to share give voice to what we believe God's speaking to us and sharing with us. So, Lord, we're here. Your servants are listening. We, we ask you to speak. Minister to us in the quiet and the stillness. Reframe our thinking. Ask us the question that uh, would only make sense to us. We just invite your voice into our hearts and our lives right now in this moment. And we just thank you that you're you're present with us and you're always speaking to us.